when, whenever we talk about impact, it's such a big issue because it has to do with what happens with the rest of our lives. So I really want to pray, and, and I want to ask you guys to do something. As, as I pray right now, I want to ask you guys to really pray too and to ask God to really get a hold of your heart. I think if, if we all have that attitude, we'll get a lot out of it. So let's just pray, and really sincerely as I'm praying, just, just ask God to, to get your heart and to really tell you what He wants you to hear and to just tell Him that you're ready to, to receive what He wants to give you. So God, I just thank you for this morning. I pray that you'd make the most of this, that this just wouldn't be one more morning or one more retreat, but that we'd walk away, God, with firm convictions like Russ talked about last night, to live a life that glorifies you in every way. God, like it says in Colossians 1.10, pleasing you in every way. Pray for each one of us, God, that you'd speak very clearly to us this morning, that you'd get a hold of our hearts, that we'd walk away knowing what you said to us this weekend, and that we wouldn't forget it, God, but that we'd put it into practice like you tell us to. God, I thank you so much, and we love you, Jesus. Amen. One second before you die. Have you ever thought about this? One second before you die. If you could look back over the rest of your life, what would you want to see? Think about that. What would you want to be said of you? A friend of ours just died two days ago. He was a supporter of ours. And, you know, looking back over his life, there were a lot of amazing things said. You know, he really lived to honor God. And, and to love his family and all this. And when I think about the same for myself, I want to be able to look back at my life and know why I lived on this planet. I don't want to look back and just think, you know, I, I survived, I paid the bills, and that's it. What would you like to see when you look back at your life? A few of you have heard me mention this before, but what would you have to do to be remembered 10 years after you die? Just think that through in your mind. What would you have to do to be remembered 10 years after you die? What about 50 years after you die? That'd have to be pretty significant for people to remember you 50 years after you died. What about 100 years after you die? And just think, you'd have to have quite an impact on history. I mean, that 100 years after you die, we're getting into like George Washington type impact, you know? Started the country type of thing. What about 1,000 years after you die? What would you have to do to be remembered 1,000 years after you die? You guys probably thought of some big things that you'd have to do. The goal isn't to be remembered by human beings, right? But our lives can really impact eternity. That's one of my favorite quotes from The Gladiator when Russell Crowe says, what's done in this life echoes for eternity. And it's so true. What we do on this earth echoes for eternity. So more than being remembered a hundred years after you die, more than being remembered a thousand years after you die, you will be remembered through all of eternity because of what you did with your life right here on this earth whether positive or negative. And you will remember for all of eternity what you did with the life God gave you on this earth. So what kind of a life do you want to live? What do you want to be your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for on this planet? And again, it's not doing things in my strength so that people remember me, but how am I going to impact eternity? That's the question. How am I going to impact eternity with the life that God gave me here? How many of you want to live a life that impacts eternity? How many of you want to live a life of impact? How many of you want to change this world for good? How many of you want to make an impact for Christ? I do too. I think all of us in here do. This is why it's so hard for me to tell you this, but most of you won't. Statistically, in a room this big of about 100 people, maybe one or two of you will share your faith and even impact eternity a little bit. That, that, that's the statistics in our country. Very few of you will. We all want to live that life of impact, making a difference for Christ, 
but the fact is is that it, it doesn't happen very often. Think of all the people that you know. How many of them are truly living for eternity? How many of them are truly living every part of their life to make an impact for Christ? And it's not very many. I believe you guys want that, but I'm afraid that many of you won't ever see that. And the reason for that is that your desires, ambitions, hopes, dreams, pursuits, and priorities in this life, the things that you want to live for, are too strong. We all have things that we want to live for, right? I used to want to be a doctor. That was something that I was living for. Those dreams can be too strong. The temptations that we face daily will often overcome us. I know so many people that struggle and struggle and struggle with temptation and they never win. He did not create us to be in bondage to that for our entire life. The distractions of this world are often too alluring. The new video game that just came out. The new car that I have to have. The new house that I have to get in debt to own. The NFL network that costs $300 a year so that I can see every NFL game. The distractions of this world are far too alluring. It's hard to go through a day, not even an hour, without being distracted by what this world has to offer. And here's one that's big. I think I want you guys to really think this through, too. Your weaknesses, failures, and insecurities will often keep you in bondage. Even if you wanted to make a difference for Christ. And even if you got through the distractions, it seems a lot of times people will keep their eyes so much on their weaknesses, their inabilities, their failures, their insecurities, and they just refuse to take a step. You know, I know people that feel like they've been called to ministry, and they'll have one tiny little insecurity, and they will let it prevent them from following God. You know, they're a Christian, they're going to be in heaven with us, but they'll let this tiny little insecurity keep them from doing what God has called them to. My hope is that that would not be the case with any of you today. Statistically, it it would probably define most of us in this room, but we don't have to obey statistics. We can definitely live a life for Christ that impacts eternity. So I hope that you are one of the few who will beat the odds. I hope you guys are one of the few that will make a difference for Christ. I hope that, that I have your attention, and I hope that I have your heart. I hope you guys are coming into this with a desire like you said a minute ago, to really make an impact for Christ. I heard a great story once of a Marine recruiter. He was recruiting students in high school to the Marines, and he had 15 minutes to speak. And he was there with a recruiter from the Army and a recruiter from the Navy, and they each had 15 minutes. The recruiter from the Army got up and and went over 20 minutes. And then the recruiter from the Navy got up and went over 20 minutes. So the recruiter from the Marines has two or three minutes, right, or even less, to do his spiel. And he gets up. And he said, only two or three of you in this entire audience have what it takes to be a Marine. Come talk to me afterwards. And they said the line of people waiting to talk to him was longer than any other one. And I want to challenge you guys, are you one of the people that has what it takes to make a difference for Christ? And I'm going to talk a little bit about what it takes this morning, so I, please pay attention. If you, if you have paper and notes, take notes. So what does it take? God has already made you who you need to be to accomplish what he's planned for you. You don't need to become something different. A lot of you think, I need to become something different before I can be used by God. I need to graduate from college before I can be used by God. I need to get married before I can be used by God. I need to get 
into this career, this job, before I can be used by God. That's not true. He's made you who you need to be right now to be used by Him. You don't need to be anything different. Kyle talked about this last night. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So you, being in Christ, if you've accepted Christ and let Him be Lord of your life, you are all you need to be to make an impact for Christ. You don't need to become anything more. I'm not saying that He won't be changing you throughout your life. You're in a process and He will be developing you for the rest of your life. But right now, you're who you need to be to accomplish what He's called you to be. So don't be thinking forward saying, I need to become something different. Don't be looking at your past saying, I'm not good enough to do what God's called me to do. You are who God made you to be to accomplish what He made you to do. So what does it take? It takes somebody that will simply realize, God made me who I need to be, to do what He wants me to do. And I'm just going to be me. I don't have to be something different. So often we try to be something different, to try and put on some facade. And God doesn't want that. Just be yourself. Know your identity in Him. And just be that. Be who He made you to be. The other part of this is that He's already given you everything that you need. You don't need anything else. A lot of times we think, I need more money, I need more time, I need more knowledge. A lot of people say, I won't share my faith because I don't know how. See, we think, I need something more before I can do what God called me to do. In 2 Peter 1.3, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So you don't need anything else to obey what He's called you to. You simply need to be who He made you to be and realize that everything you need, He's already given you. Now we just step out in that. Does that make sense? And who will use what He's given us wisely. He's given each of us so much, guys. In this country, in America, that you can think of it this way, you have more time than anybody else on the planet. You know why you have more time? You don't have more hours in a day. But our life is so streamlined that you have more time. I grew up for five years in Romania. It would take a day out of the week to do your shopping. Because you had to go to this market, to that market. You know, you didn't go to Walmart and have everything you could ever want to eat for an entire month right in front of you and with one checkout. You know, you'd go to one part of the city to find lettuce, another part of the city to find eggs, stand in the line for two hours to get bread. You'd have to drive out to some farmer's place to get milk. So in, in a lot of countries in this world, you practically just don't have much time. Here you do. You can go to Walmart, you're out in 30 minutes with your groceries for the week. You have more time. You have more money. As Americans, you have more money than anybody on the planet, pretty much. We're all so scared of this recession. We're still, even as college students, you think you're poor, you're still in the top 5% of the richest people alive. We have resources. We have money. We have time. Think of all the things that you have. How many of you guys have a computer? Almost all of you guys. Think of how much you can use a stupid computer for God with. A friend of mine put his testimony up on MySpace. In two or three days, he had 10,000 people read it. We have resources that we can use. God has given you, as college students in America, a lot of resources. You have been given so much. And see, to each one of us, we're required to be stewards of what God's given us. And that means that we, we get to use it the right way, not the wrong way. For the right things, not for the wrong things. And there are two different types of stewards that the Bible talks about in Matthew 25. In 21 and 23, it's what we all hope we hear. It's where the steward or the servant hears, well done, good and faithful servant from his master. That's what we each want to hear from Jesus, right? But we forget that there is a second type of servant too in, in verse 26 where, where the master said, you wicked and lazy servant. And that was a servant that had these resources that God had given him and did nothing with them. 
And that is the case with, with most of us. Most of us in America today, we've been given so much and we bury it just like that servant did. We bury it in the ground and we just hope for the best. That's what the master said was a wicked and lazy servant. The good and faithful servant was the one that said, I've been given all these resources. I'm going to use them for God's glory. I'm going to live my life for Him and not for me. So what does it take, guys? It takes somebody that is going to just be who God made them to be, realize that they've been given everything He wants them to have and everything that they need to have to accomplish what He's called them to, and then simply using those things for Him and not for ourselves. It's really simple. Sometimes we make it so big. I want to live a life of impact. And oh my gosh, how could I do this? And how could I do that? And how could I start this? And how could I start that? And how could I... How could I how, it's, it's not that complicated. It's very simple. Just be who God made you. And acknowledge and recognize that He's given you what you need. And so use it for His glory. It's so simple. So what are His plans for you? And these, these are just a few of the things that He says He's called you to, guys. Jeremiah 29.11. You guys have read this verse. You've heard it quoted. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So he has a good plan for your life. He didn't say, Natalie, you're born for not so much. (laughs) You know? Uh, You're going to be one of the people that really doesn't have much of an impact at all. (laughs) He didn't say that. He says he has big plans for you. Big plans. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The funny thing is this verse comes right after verses 8 and 9, where it says that you've been saved by grace. We weren't saved by grace just to live our lives how we want, but we are saved by grace being created in Christ Jesus for His purposes, not ours. See, there's a purpose. Like Kyle talked about last night, we have an identity, and that identity includes a purpose. What's that purpose? It's these good works that God's prepared in advance for us to do. It naturally follows, if I'm not doing those things that God's given me to do, I'm flat out disobeying God and not living for what He created me to do. Does that make sense? It's kind of a scary verse, but it's also very encouraging. See, God has already planned out what He wants me to do. I don't have to force it to happen. A lot of you probably think that I've got to make it happen. I got You don't have to make it happen. God already planned it. Now I just simply obey Mark 12, 29-31, Jesus says the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. We've talked about what that means. To love Him with every emotion and desire and appetite and everything you want in life. To love Him with your, with your heart, to love Him with your soul, to love Him with your mind, to be, I mean, His thoughts to be your thoughts. Taking every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10.5, making it obedient to Christ, to love Him with all your strength, to do what you do with your energy for His purpose is not your own. Again, being a good steward of those resources. So the number one commandment, to love God with everything. Number two, to love your neighbor as yourself. See, your impact's going to come out of your relationship with God, out of loving Him, and then out of loving other people. When people die, the people that have had an impact are the people that love people. They're the people that love people. I've been to funerals where, just one recently with our friend Jesse, where person after person after person after person is standing up saying, that guy impacted my life for eternity because he loved me. And he showed me love in a real way. If we don't love people, we're not going to have an impact. If we don't love God, we are not going to have an impact, guys. That's why Jesus said those are the first two greatest commandments. You know what the third greatest commandment is? It's His great commission. 
And that's in Matthew 28, 18-20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he said, Every one of you, go and make disciples. Now, a lot of you have heard, even from pastors in your churches, that if you're not gifted with evangelism, you don't have to do evangelism. That's a lie. That's a flat-out lie. God has called every one of you in here to share your faith. Some of you He's gifted to be very good at that, and others He hasn't. But He's called you all to do it, trusting Him. He's called you all to make disciples, not just to share your faith, but to help young Christians grow in their walk with God. Most of you in here have valuable resources. When I was 19, I went to Nepal. I had to teach at a church conference for pastors from churches all over Nepal. 400 pastors. I was a 19-year-old kid. You know, I felt very insecure, incapable, unequipped. I remember thinking, how could 400 pastors learn anything from me? You know, I'm a 19-year-old kid. These guys are getting beaten for their walks with Christ. Some of them know people that have been killed. The pastor that hosted the conference, his house had been burned to the ground and he'd been beaten nearly to death because he was a Christian. How can they learn from me? You know, I complain if I don't get the kind of ice cream I want. How could I give anything to them? And see, this was the deal, guys. Was somebody, One of the leaders with my team told me this. A lot of these pastors, they accepted Christ the first time they heard the message. They maybe got a four spiritual law booklet, and they, they came to know Christ out of that. They were so overjoyed by this free gift of salvation, they went back and led their entire village to Christ. And now that guy is pastoring an entire church with nothing but a four law booklet. Imagine that. Or maybe a couple pages out of a book of John, and that's it. They have nothing else. Now here I am. I grew up reading the Bible, knowing the Bible. See, God gave me so many things, and He wanted me to be a steward of those. I didn't need to get stuck with my insecurities, but simply to realize, I'm just going to do what He's called me to do right now. He opened this door. I'm going to use what He's given me to glorify Him, and that's it. I'm just going to obey Him. I'm going to make disciples of all nations. It was a scary time. This whole conference was totally underground. I mean, it was in a big warehouse. It was totally secretive, but they, they had escape plans and everything. If we get busted by the cops, this is where you got to run. This is what you got to do. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty scary. But you know what? What I want to encourage you guys with is who you are right now, what God's already given you, is enough for what He's called you to do right now. You don't need more. Just trust Him right now, today, and live your life to glorify Him. It's very simple. So, can God really use you in big ways? John Boyd, can God really use you? Megan, can God really use you? I want you guys to think this through, because a lot of times we don't believe this. A lot of times we think God can use Russ, or God can use Nate, or God can use Kyle, or Aaron, or Mitch, or Linda, or God could use even a student like Chris or Kaylee, but God can't use me. I'm not friendly enough. Maybe people don't like me enough. We compare each other, don't we? I'm not as friendly as Leah. I can't get along with people like Leah can. How could I ever have an impact like Leah? We do that. That's stupid, guys. God made you different than Leah. Because if everybody was like Leah, we'd all go crazy. (laughs) Right? It's true. He made you, Ricky, he made you exactly how he wanted you to be. He didn't make you so you could live your life going, I wish I was somebody different. I wish I was Robbie over there. He made you 
you because he wanted to impact this world through you the way he made you. You guys have heard me say this before, but it's so true. Your weaknesses, inabilities, and failures present no challenge to God's plan for your life. Your willingness dies. You know, all those things that you say, I could never be what God wants me to be because I struggle with this one sin. It's true God doesn't want you to be in bondage to that one sin. He wants to give you freedom from that. But at the same time, that sin does not prevent you from being who God called you to be. Does that make sense? The more you learn to trust Him with that, the more you learn to have the victory He's paid for in that area, the more He will let you be who He's called you to be. Nothing you've done in your past, guys, nothing prevents you from being who He wants you to be today. I mean, even say that with me. Nothing I've done in my past prevents me from being who God wants me to be today. It's true. Nothing you've done in your past prevents you from being who God wants you to be today. In fact, 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven says, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. If you're thinking you have to become a strong and intelligent thing to be used by God, you're dead wrong. He chose the foolish things and the weak things to shame the wise and the strong. He did that so that only He would be glorified, not me. You know, when people look at me, they're never, they're never going to... This is something that I've, I've never wanted to go to Bible school because I never wanted anybody to ever be able to say, Nate can really do a good job serving God because he, got it from, he went to Bible school. I have nothing, ministry speaking, worth promoting. I'm glad Russ didn't ask for some big theological degree to be on staff here because I would have been on the street. I don't have anything to offer like that except what God does in my life. And that's exactly what I want. I don't want to have qualifications from some seminary school to serve Him. I just want to have a qualification from my relationship to serve Him. I want to love Him so much that I can just serve Him as my best friend, not because of what I've learned in some classroom or something. See, if God could use Moses... Moses was afraid, he was insecure, he doubted. Moses, if you go read about Moses, God's telling him, I want you to free my people. I can't do it. God, please send somebody else. I can't speak. I sound so stupid. I'm so terrible. A lot of times, he was saying the same thing a lot of us do. God, I'm no good. I'm not as good as Russ. I can't do it like Kyle. I'm not as cool as David. I can't do it, God. God could use Moses, he could use you. If God could use John the Baptist, this is amazing. This guy wore camel skin, ate locusts and honey, and lived in the desert. Aaron calls him the first hippie. Anyway, it's true. It's true. Leah Jensen aspires to be more and more like John the Baptist. What kind of a guy walks around in camel skin, eats locusts, and lives in a desert? A pretty weird guy. But God used him tremendously. In fact, you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? He said, out of everybody born of women, that's everybody, (laughs) there's nobody that has ever lived that was more awesome than John the Baptist. That's a big compliment from God himself. See, this guy wasn't, he definitely wasn't trying to be what anybody else wanted him to be. He definitely was just being himself. But if, if God could use John the Baptist, he can use you. God can and desires to use you in big ways, but I don't want to focus on that today. I just wanted to set the stage. A lot of talks on impact or influence or things like this are going to go into all the great ways God could use you and all the great examples of people that obeyed Him and were used mightily. Henrietta Mears, one woman that taught one Sunday school class. She led Bill Bright to Christ and discipled him. He founded Campus Crusade for Christ, which has reached the entire world practically with the gospel. It's unbelievable. 
Billions of people have heard the gospel through that one man's life and what he started. She also discipled Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. One lady teaching a Sunday school class. God can have a big impact with your life if you will simply keep your eyes on Him and live in a relationship with Him and in fellowship with Him. I don't want to talk about that so much today. I don't want to talk about how God can use you, but I want to focus on who you need to be to be used. Who do you need to be to be used? There is one huge obstacle before you can live a life of impact, guys. There's a huge obstacle, an impenetrable blockade preventing you from experiencing that life of impact God called you to. If you could just get past this obstacle, the sky's the limit. If you could somehow break through, nothing will ever stop you. And get this clearly, the obstacle is you. Write it down on your paper. I am the obstacle. I ask so many students down in the subcub where we meet and hang out, what they want to do with their lives. Christian students. I've even asked guys that are seniors that I've been discipling for four years. So what are you going to do when you graduate? And the answer goes on and on and on about, I want to find a job with this kind of company and hopefully I'll be able to find a wife and have kids. And you know, and then I'll, I'll probably you know, play this sport or that sport or do this hobby or that thing because I really like doing that. I like making model cars. It's so much fun. It's unbelievable. And they'll talk for 15 minutes like that. And then at the end, and hopefully, I actually had a student tell me this last year, and hopefully, once I get good enough at my job, I'll make enough money that I don't have to worry so much about money. And at that point, it would probably free up a little bit of my time to do something for God, like maybe lead a Bible study or something. I just want to tell you straight up, that's lame. That's stupid. But we all think that way. The purpose on this planet is not to survive. Hopefully you will survive on this planet. The purpose, though, is to live a life that glorifies God. To live daily, to know Him more, and to make Him known. That's my purpose. If that purpose includes getting a career, then go do it. But do that knowing the reason you're doing that is to make Him known. If that purpose includes having a family, great, have a family. But do that knowing that that is to glorify God and to make Him known. See, to get rid of those blockades, we have to sacrifice and we have to surrender. And sacrifice isn't fun, it hurts. It is not easy. Surrender costs a lot. If you look at Genesis 22.2, God is talking to Abraham. Abraham's this old guy. He can't have kids. His wife is barren. She's old. They're nearly dead, the Bible tells us in Romans 4. And God says, you're going to be a father of many nations. Oh, sure I am. You know, we don't have any kids. How is that going to happen? So after waiting years for this promise, finally they have Isaac. A a son is born to us. Now we really can be the father of many nations. That promise that God gave us can really come true. Abraham wanted this promise to be fulfilled. And now he has Isaac. And Isaac is the only way this promise will be fulfilled. And God knows that. This thing is the most important thing to him in his entire life. Nothing else takes precedence over this. Think in your life right now. What one thing is most important? Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your degree you're seeking. What's the most important thing in your life right now? If you can't think of one, think of the couple most important things in your life right now. And this is what God says to Abraham. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. He doesn't just say, Abraham, that's a little too important in your life. I want to be number one. He hits home. He wants Abraham to know the cost of this sacrifice. He wants him to know deeply what it's going to cost him. He says, take your son, your only son. You don't have another one. Take that one. The one that you love more than anything else on the planet. 
He says, this is going to cost you a lot, Abraham. And Abraham realizes it. And Abraham has the attitude I want to have in my life when God asks me to give up my plans for His purposes. He says, God, I'm going to do it. I'll sacrifice my son, the only one. Believing all along that God would work out a miracle in that situation. David, similarly, had a situation where he needed to sacrifice to God. So he goes up to the threshing floor of Aruna. This is in 2 Samuel 24. Aruna said, you know, my king can have anything he wants. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you the property and I'll give you everything you need to sacrifice. And this is what David says. He says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. See, David understood this. He says, it's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost me. It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't hurt me. I know a few of you have been going through this right now. I know Riley's been talking to me about this a lot lately. What does it take to take something that is more precious to me than anything on this planet and say, God, it's yours. You can have it. And then be free to do what he's called you to out of that. See, sacrifice hurts and it costs, but God can't use you until you're ready to empty yourself of you and to be an empty vessel that he can use. As long as you have everything lined up for your life, God's just going to let you do it. You know, if you have all your plans, I'm going to get out of college and get this job and then have this career and then get married and then da-da-da-da and do-do-do-do-do. Maybe teach a Sunday school class once in a while, if I have enough time. Then you probably will live that life. And you'll be just like I said at the beginning, one of the people that never accomplishes anything for God, that has no impact. You'll die. You will have had very little impact on eternity. And that's it. You'll still be in heaven. You know, we're still going to be loving each other there. But you would probably do anything you could to come back and live that life again in a way that glorified God. Luke 9, 23-24, this is Jesus speaking, and he says this several other times in the Gospels. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it or will save it. See, if I want to follow him, I have to deny myself the desires I have, the ambitions I have, even the fears. You have to deny your fears, your insecurities. A lot of you guys have insecurities. All of you guys have insecurities in here. You're going to have to deny those. Say, I'm putting those insecurities behind me and I'm going forward and I'm not looking at those insecurities. So you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Your cross is not fun. Your cross hurts. A.W. Tozer said, In every Christian's heart there is a cross and a throne, and the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps that is at the bottom of all the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but insist Christ do all the dying. We doom ourselves to shadows, weakness, and spiritual sterility. See, if I refuse to die to myself... I lock myself into a life of failure. It's a scary thought. And Jesus continues, For whoever wants to save his life or find his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it or will save it. See, again, you have ambitions. You have things that you think define yourself. And he's saying you need to lose those. And you need to find yourself in me. You know, Paul said in Philippians 3, he talked about being found in Christ In Colossians 3, he talked about being hidden in Christ. That's all that matters, is me being in Christ. Not everything that I've always defined myself with. That includes my hopes, my desires, my ambitions, my dreams. All crucified, all denied, all lost for His sake. That includes weaknesses, failures, inabilities, insecurities. All lost for His sake, all denied for His sake. 
The result of that, guys, though, is this. It's the true abundance and significance, meaning, joy, and satisfaction that Jesus promised when He said in John 10.10 that He came to give you an abundant life. That's the part where we find our life. Until you've given it all up to Christ, you don't have anything. Once you do give it all up to Christ, you find everything. And that's the key, is really that issue of sacrifice, saying, God, everything that I feel is so important, I'm giving it to you. And everything that holds me back, I'm giving it to you. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, when I die to self, I allow Him to live His life through me. That in turn yields a life of impact, which is truly satisfying. And see, as, as hard as it is to sacrifice all that stuff, Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again in John 4.14. When we finally come to this place of saying, God, you're everything and I give you everything, we experience true satisfaction where we will never thirst again. You know, Russ has said many times, and I feel the same way, I couldn't be happier with a million dollars. After I left air quality to go into full-time ministry, my boss came to the snack bar one day, found me on campus, my old boss, and he said, the air quality program manager position just opened up and we want you to, to take that position. You know, Will you consider coming back? And that's a job that pays between sixty dollars and $70,000 two years out of college. And I told my boss, you couldn't get me to come back with a million dollars. I said, I'm doing what I was made to do right now. And that's, that's all that matters. Money is not the issue. Aaron and I have been on staff for four years, and our combined income four years after being on staff is less than my income alone was back then. But I'm orders of magnitude more happy. The amount of money we make does not make us happy, but a life where God is in control makes me happy. You've been made who you need to be. You've been given all that you need to accomplish what He has called you to. All that remains now is for you to get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on Him. Quit looking at yourself. Quit looking at those plans, those desires that you have for your future. And say, God, you're everything. Nothing else matters. Like Paul continued to say in Philippians 3, I count all that other stuff trash compared to just knowing you. He said, "That's all that matters is just knowing you, Jesus. And we need that same attitude. To live that life of impact He's called me to, I need to keep my eyes on Him. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells me to look unswervingly at Jesus. To keep my eyes fixed on Jesus and nothing else. Not on the distractions or my own hopes or plans or whatever. And I want to I put this out there too. Don't limit God with your expectations in either direction. You might have expectations that God wants to accomplish all this amazing stuff through you. You're not the next great Christian thing. I'm not the next great Christian thing. I just simply need to be God's child. Don't limit yourself with the expectations that you have in that area. But also, guys, don't limit God with your expectations of where you fear you can't succeed. A lot of you have expectations. I could never do that because I'm no good. Quit limiting God by your expectations. What dreams has He put in your heart? What has He gifted you with? What has He given you a passion for? What has He called you to? What does the Bible tell you is your purpose? Walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 Don't let your expectations prevent you from what He's called you to. Surrender to Him continually. In Romans 12.1 it says, I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do you want to worship God with your life? Surrender to Him. You want to worship God with your life? Present your life as a living sacrifice. God, nothing in my life matters. It's yours. I'm not holding anything for me. I'm giving it to you. See, this goes back to lordship. Is he really lord? 
You know, so often we, we call him our friend, and that's true. And in John 15, Jesus said, I've not called you slaves, I've called you my friends. It's true that he's our friend, it's true that he's our best friend, but he's also our Lord. And so often as Christians in America, we don't live like that. I get emails from the Voice of the Martyrs talking about Christians who willingly are beheaded. Schoolgirls, did you hear this story in Indonesia three or four years ago? These four schoolgirls were attacked by Muslims, three of them were beheaded. The fourth one escaped, but has a scar all the way through her face that cut all these nerves up. She had to have Voice of the Martyrs actually pay tens of thousands of dollars for reconstructive surgery just so she could smile again. These schoolgirls knew what it took to make Jesus their Lord, and so often I don't. So he needs to be our Lord. And here's the thing. So how do I live this life of impact he's called me to? Keep my eyes on him. Surrender to him daily. Trust him daily. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. As you simply acknowledge Him daily and trust Him daily and don't lean on your own understanding of all the things you want to accomplish, just keep your eyes on Him. As you trust Him daily, it says right there, He's going to direct your paths. You don't have to make it happen. He's going to make it happen. You just simply need to be available when He makes it happen. Like it says in Colossians 4, 5, right? In every opportunity, just be available. Make the most of each opportunity He provides. So trust Him daily. Be faithful with all He gives you. Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in what is least will also be faithful in what is in much. This is the big key. God's not going to use you in big ways till you're okay with Him using you in small ways. Dana's attitude... Oh, Dana, I don't want to embarrass you. This attitude was one of the greatest things I've ever heard... At the beginning of the year, we asked people if they could help with multimedia. And Dana comes that, that night and says, I'd like to help with multimedia. So I said, so Dana, do you have a lot of experience with computers and projectors and stuff like that? She goes, not really much at all. And I said, that's interesting. So why did you want to volunteer to work with multimedia? She said, I've been praying that God would give me an opportunity to serve him somewhere. And this is an opportunity to serve him, so I want to do it. What an attitude, right? I just want to serve God. I don't care if I'm good at it or not. I'm going to serve Him with what is little. See, when we have that attitude, guys, I'm going to serve Him right now, today, with even these small little issues. Then He can use you in big ways later. Be faithful in what is little now. You don't have to open your own doors. So many Christians think, I need to open my own doors for God to use me. I need to get involved with this ministry or that ministry because they have more opportunities and then I can be used in bigger ways. That's worldly thinking. God's thinking, He can open any door He wants for you if you're simply faithful with the little things that He's given you right now to be faithful with. And I promise you, if you're not faithful with the little things today, you will not be given bigger things to be faithful with later. Give you little things later and see if you're faithful with them then. And see, He's patient with you. It tells us that in 2 Peter 3.9. He's patient. So He's not just going to say, I'm done with you. You're out of here. He will keep being patient. But be faithful with little before you can be made faithful with more. The big key here too, guys, all those different things are important ways to live the life He's called us to. But the big key is every day we need to be filled and controlled with His Spirit, walking in His power. In Colossians 1.29 it says, To this end I labor, struggling with all of His energy, which works so powerfully in me. See, if I want, the whole, if I want to accomplish what He's called me to, I need to walk daily filled and controlled with His Spirit. If I don't do that, I'm dead in the water. You can't do it on your own. So if you do these, guys, every day, you won't screw up. You won't miss your purpose. Just go one day at a time. Again, keep your eyes on Christ. Surrender to Him. Trust Him. Be faithful with little. And do it all in the Holy Spirit's power. It's pretty simple.
You do that, He will open the doors He wants and give you the impact He's made you for. If you don't do that, you'll just get what, what you can do in your own human strength, which won't be very much. The bottom line, guys, Acts 17.28 says, In Him we live and move and have our being. Again, Kyle was talking about this yesterday. In Him we live, we exist. It says in Him we, we have our being, our identity. It's in Him. And then it says in Him we move. That's talking about we do the things we do every day. So see, I have my identity in Him, and I have all the activities and the purpose that He's created me for, the impact that He's created me to have, that comes in Him. But see, it's in Him. It has to be in Him. We have to live constantly in fellowship with Him. Out of that comes all those other things. John 15, 1-16 says that if we abide in Him, we'll bear fruit, and that fruit will last. And it says apart from Him, you can do nothing. Abiding in Him doesn't mean just showing up at Connect once a week or TNL once a week. It doesn't even just mean having a little quiet time every morning. Abiding in Him means every day is nothing but you and Him. And that will include a lot of other interactions with other people. But every day is just immersed in Him. See, every action I do comes out of this fellowship with Him. Colossians 1.10 says, That will result in a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? That's that life of impact. Here's my story, guys, from, from DTS. DTS is this discipleship training school I did. Autumn did one, too. She's like, yeah. This was 1997, so about 11 years ago, before I came to college. And as I was flying into Montrose... I had to fly. I had to fly into Montrose. Actually, I, we stopped in Telluride first. I flew into Telluride, and then, as we as we're coming into Telluride, you guys ever flown into Telluride? It's the scariest airport in the world because it's on a cliff. So when you fly in, it's cool, but when you fly off, you're just driving straight to the cliff, and you're hoping that you can take off in time. But anyway, as we're landing, as we're landing in Telluride, this thought comes through my mind, like Russ was talking about last night. The Holy Spirit putting thoughts in your minds. And this thought comes through my mind, would you give up being a doctor for me? Because I'd always wanted to be a doctor. And I thought, that's stupid. I want to be a missionary doctor. So why would God ask me to give that up for him? Because I want to serve him with it anyway. So I'm like, that's dumb. That's stupid. We're taking off, and it's going through my mind again. And it's, it's just eating me up. And, so, and then we're, we're coming into Montrose, and it's hitting me again. Would you give up being a doctor? And I get, to, I get to the YWAM base, and the first week, this would not stop. I could not go five minutes without this thought going through my head. It was killing me. If you guys ever had something really stressing you out, and your stomach just feels like, I can't eat anything, I'm so stressed out right now. It just feels like it's in knots, right? That's how I felt the whole week. And finally, I went to the, the leader of the YWAM base there, and I said, all this stuff is just going on. It's driving me insane. And... and that person said, do you think it's an Abraham and Isaac issue where you're going to put it on the altar and God will just give it back to you? And I said, I can't go into it thinking that way, right? If, if I'm going to give this up, it has to be legit. I have to give it up completely. And maybe God will give it back, maybe not, but I have to really give it up. I can't expect to get it back. That night I walked back to my dorm, and, and that week we'd had a speaker there with his praise and worship leader that came with him. And before he spoke every night, we'd have awesome times praising God. And it was his conviction that he did not want to speak until all of us were kind of at a place where we were ready to hear from God. And it was really great. Some, some nights I remember having praise and worship till midnight, and then he'd start speaking. But all of us, our hearts were in the right place to hear from God. I got back to my dorm, and this praise and worship leader is, is speaking with my roommates about his life. And he says, two years ago, I wanted to be a lawyer. And I wanted to be a lawyer for Christ. You know, do pro bono stuff for missionaries and all that, and for organizations. Really serve Christ with being a lawyer. And man, all of a sudden, this thought started coming through my head. Would you give that up? 
for me. And I thought that was so stupid because the whole reason I wanted to do it was for him. So why would that be him? And he's explaining every day of my week practically there, right? And finally, I just left. I said, I can't listen to this. It's going to drive me batty if I, try, if I stay in here, in here another five minutes. So I go in my room and I got on my knees and I just said, God, it's yours. I don't care if I'm a doctor or not. I give it to you. See, it was that time of sacrifice saying, this was my plan for my life. This was my hope and dream for the last six or seven years. This is why I took all those classes in high school. Literally, it was homeschool. But this is why I took all those classes so I could get to where I am today so that I could do this. And I just said, God, it's yours. I don't care if I ever do it. I don't care if I'm ever a doctor or not. So see, that was the story of me. And it hurt. It hurt deep, guys. I went to school. I graduated with a degree in chemistry. Like I said before, I started working in air quality. I get to my air quality office. My first day at my office. You know it's on the outside of my door? One of those little flip chart things that they put on doctor's doors. You've seen those? Where it says if you're with a patient or not. It's on my office. Out of all the offices in the office building, it's, in, it's on my office. I ripped it off and threw it in the trash can, you know? Because still in my mind it hurt. I'm not a doctor. I'm a stupid air quality person, you know? In my mind it hurt. But see, that was a sacrifice I knew that I had to make to give that up. To go into full-time ministry at the right time to serve God. That's what he called me to. See, guys, he is worthy. He's given you the life that you have. He's supplied every need that you have. He's given you all the relationships that you have that make your life what it is. He's given you a relationship with himself that gives you true joy, true peace, everything that you could imagine, true satisfaction in life. He saved you, guys. How good is that? There are people, there are probably 5 billion people on this planet that think they have to earn their salvation by being perfect. And you you got a free gift. You don't have to live with guilt and shame every day. You don't have to live wondering if you're going to go to hell every day. You can know, I received a free gift that I didn't have to earn. See, He's worthy of everything. He's worthy of my dreams. He's worthy of what I want to do with my life. He's worthy of all of it. Look at John the Baptist's example. He says in John 3.30, He must become greater, I must become less. And that's the attitude we need. God, I do have all these plans for my life, but I need to become less, and you need to become greater. Not me, but you. You first. See, I get in the way of what He wants to do in my life, so I must decrease so He can do what He wants. You aren't doing Him a favor, guys. A lot of people always tell Aaron and I, you know, when they hear what we used to do before we went on staff, Wow, you guys have made some big sacrifices for God leaving your job. I think, are you kidding? (laughs) You're the one making the sacrifice. You're stuck in some cubicle, bored to tears. I'm getting to live a dream, you know? I get to see people making steps in their walks with God. I get to hear people talking about what God's doing in their life. You know, I talk to Malcolm and he tells me all the things God's doing in his life. It's the most exciting thing on the planet. We didn't sacrifice. I mean, technically we did, but we got so much more than I ever would have got sitting in an office punching. I mean, there were days I literally had to put ten to 20,000 numbers into an Excel spreadsheet by hand. This is not sacrificing compared to that, right? <laughs> I promise you guys, anything you could ever give up for God, you will get orders of magnitude more. Any dream that you've ever had, a life His way blows that dream out of the water. It's more than you could ever even want. You'll look back at your life with a sense of joy and perspective that will blow your mind. This is the crux of it. John the Baptist, he had this mentality with Jesus. 
in Matthew 3.11, in Mark 1.7, in Luke 3.16, in John 1.27, in Acts 13.25, a few of you guys heard me talk about this a year ago. He said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, talking about Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 3.9, it says we're called to be his co-laborers. And I think so often we shun that. I have some big plan that's better than being God's co-laborer. I'm going to be a doctor. That's what it was for me. And see, I need to have John the Baptist's attitude. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Or, or what God told Moses, take off your shoes. You're walking on holy ground. To notice God is, is near to me. God is with me. And I treat him with such contempt so easily. He's just called us to love him every day and to work with him when he opens the right doors. See, you want to make a difference in this world, right? All you guys told me you did. So we're here to change things, guys. We're here to disturb the go-nowhere, do-nothing equilibrium. Everybody around you has that sense of just live for the five C's, cash, cars, careers, condos, cuties, and computers, the six C. We just need to start saying the six C's. Everybody around you has that mentality. Live a life for yourself, for your pleasures, for nothing else, and that's that. It's time we disturb that equilibrium. It's time we decide to be world changers that aren't going to settle for less, that aren't going to settle for that in our lives. I'm not just going to be addicted to TV and video games and going to my job and making some money. I'm not just going to be committed to paying the bills, but I'm really going to be committed to living the life God's called me to live. And guys, you have to be passionate about Him if you want that. Jeremiah 30, 21, you guys have probably heard me quote this verse so many times, you're sick of it. It says, Who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? Are you that person? He says, devote yourself to be close to me. Who is he? This doesn't mean, who is he who will devote himself to spend ten minutes reading the Bible every morning and then live the rest of the day for their own desires. See guys, are you going to be devoted to connecting with him daily? Are you, are you sick of just barely connecting with him? That's frustrating, right? I, re- I read the, the proverb for the day and I'm done. Man, it's good. It's a good start. But isn't that kind of, it's not that much. What if Aaron, I said, Aaron's my amazing wife, but you can only say three sentences to me, so pick them wisely. Hmm? Every day you got three sentences and that's it. See, we do that with God. I'm going to spend ten minutes in your word, God, and I'm done. <laughs> and then I hear students that say, I ask them, have you been having your quiet time this week? No, I haven't. Why not? Well, I just haven't been getting much out of my quiet times, so I decided, why even have them? I'm just going... <gasps> If you you thought of any other relationship like that, you'd be dead. I'm just not getting that close to this friend of mine, so why should I even spend time with that person? (laughs) You know, It's not helping me get closer to him. Well, that's the problem. You won't spend time with them. Does that make sense? If you want to devote yourself to be close to God, devote yourself to be close to God. Make Him everything, guys. Make Him all you care about in this life. Like Paul said, everything else is trash. I want to ask a question. How far will you go in pursuing God? How far are you willing to go? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to make Him all you want in this life? Are you willing to make Him everything? Nothing else matters but Him. See, if you get to that point, a synergy comes out of that relationship. See, if you're you're passionately devoted to knowing God more than anything else in this life, there's going to be a synergy that comes out of that that makes you more effective than you could ever be on your own, I promise. And you really will live that life of impact that God's called you to.
John Wesley put it this way. He said, Light yourself on fire and people will come from miles away to watch you burn. Light yourself on fire and people will come from miles away to watch you burn. I want to I challenge you guys. Light yourselves on fire for God. Don't just like put the lighter under your foot and then pull it away before anything catches fire. That's what we do. I read a proverb today. You know, I warm my foot up a little bit, but I'm done before the fire starts. Light yourself on fire. Wake up an hour earlier than you are. I don't want this to be legalistic, guys, but I want you to have a passion for Christ. You might not get nine hours of sleep. You might need seven hours of sleep. But you know what? I think God totally can refresh you in those two hours with Him more than two extra hours of sleep could ever refresh you. And I promise you, you'll have more joy than you will if you just spent those two extra hours in bed. Devote yourself to be close to Him, guys. I hope you are one of the few who will get your eyes off yourself, your dreams, your hopes, your desires, your ambitions, your plans, your weaknesses, your failures, your insecurities, all that stuff. I hope you're one of the few that will get your eyes off that and pursue Him passionately and allow Him to accomplish the impact He made you for. I really hope so. I want you to do something right now. I want you to to read these two things. There are two different issues here. The first one is your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your ambitions, your plans, all those things that you have for your life. The second one is your fears, your weaknesses, your inabilities, your failures, and your insecurities. You guys know those. I don't know those. I want you to take a piece of paper, rip off a half a paper, whatever. I want you to write those things out. When you're ready, I want you to take those dreams, put the biggest dreams you have for your life, the biggest hopes, the biggest fears, the biggest insecurities. I want you at some point this morning come throw them in this in this stove just as a symbol of saying, God, it's yours. And I don't want you to throw them in there until you're ready to give them up. I want this to be real. You might not get them back. You might not get them back. And you might get them back. But whatever, whatever you do get back, guys, is going to be so much better. But this is just a point of saying, God, you're worthy. And I'm going to just surrender to you and let you do what you want in my life. So when you're ready, and and here's the deal, if you're not ready to throw this in the fire right now, take it home with you this week. Or maybe you and a friend can take them home and build a campfire together, throw them out, or shred it, or throw it in the fire, or throw it in a trash can, or I don't know. But when, when you're ready, I want you to take those things and give them to God, just as a symbol that, that you're ready to surrender and give Him all of that.